0: but for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Creation Today Claims series, posted October 7th, 2019, titled, Hello, My Name is Eric Hovind, Part 2, featuring logic.
1: For years, then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. Then they're saying through their worldview that the ocean's mixed with the rock and made. You remember what it made? Soup! That's exactly right. Soup! Why does
2: Paul have to listen to the Hovens all day? It's making me angry and hungry.
3: Aw, don't be like that. He's new to hell. It's not easy having a giant octopus creature as house alarm, hellhounds eating your slippers all the time, and millipedes talking back to you when you want to squish them. I mean, he just wants to cling onto his earthly sanity. Not sure how Hovind helps with that. Maybe they're just more crazy than we are? But is it so wrong to try?
2: Yes, I have to work in the morning.
3: No, you don't.
2: Okay, I don't, but that's just because I'm a useless slacker who should get a real job. And how am I supposed to focus on that with all that racket?
3: You know what? Why not help a customer a little by doing some old-style candy debunk together? But I wanted to work on my channel today. Yeah, sure. You're procrastinating on that one since days because you locked Maya into your office when he came for his usual nighttime intercession. Remember? Do your friend a favor and go debunk candy with him. Come on. You can still make fun of people taking blurry pictures of streetlights when you get back. I promise they will still be here when you're done. There is no escape from hell. Fine.
0: Uh... Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. If you're new to the channel...
2: Howdy, neighbor. Who are you talking to?
0: The Millipedes in the corner. They won't tap subscribe no matter what I do. Tell me about it. So,
2: how are you enjoying your first apartment in hell? Figured you'd have cleared out the
0: western decor by now. I can change the decor? I just assumed the saddles and rope were part of my personal torment.
2: Oh yeah, long as you have your Christmas decorations up before Halloween, you can do pretty much whatever you want.
0: But speaking of torment, can you stop blaring those Hovind seminars all day? I can barely hear the wailing of the damned. Mephistopheles stopped by to let me know that the clips of Kent and his son Eric will play on endless repeats until I make response videos about them. What what do you think, help a brother out i don't think so i've been professionally ignoring hovens for years it'll be a breeze oh really Ten thousand years of this
1: it came alive and found somebody to marry and something to eat oh <laughs> they can stop all right fine let's get it over with what about this the earth, earth is spinning is about a thousand miles an hour miles an hour at, an hour at the, the equator, equator.
0: But we got a problem. Is a problem that no one who actually lives on the equator would measure their speed in miles per hour? Most of the world moved on to kilometers per hour around the same time science created measles vaccines and birth control pills. But I know your family's against all those things.
4: But the earth is slowing down. The earth
1: is gradually getting slower and slower.
4: Every year to year and a half, they Added have to add a second to, the, to clock. the clock.
0: They call it a leap second. I've heard of leap seconds before. Pretty sure that's a real thing. But I'm sure the Hovens will give a source for this. 1990,
4: the Pensacola News Journal said, we have to add a tick to the clock because Earth's rotation is slowing down.
0: Pensacola News Journal? I mean, if you live in Pensacola like Kent did and Eric still does, I'm sure it's a fine local newspaper. But surely you can do better for a science claim. According to an online archive, this particular December 12, 1990 edition of the Pensacola News Journal also included this piece of hard-hitting journalism. Anytime we have a parade, our business is stupendous, said Ernie Cribb, owner of the Tasty Freeze. I mean, no offense to the fine folks at Tasty Freeze, but you'd think that one of Kent's very legitimate doctor degrees would have given him access to research libraries for reference. Or at least this article from Science Magazine, one of the most respected publications on the planet, in 1987, which detailed the phenomenon.
1: They've had to add one second to the clock to have the clocks accurate.
0: Eric's slide is even worse. Why does it stop at 1996, more than 10 years before his presentation? Oh, I see. It's just a copy of Kent's slide, with the very same clippings from the June 1994 issue of Astronomy. But with the advent of Google, the Sun added in the name of the UTC time consulting body, the International Earth Rotation Service. Maybe something from the IERS website would have been better reference. Now kids, this is going to be complicated, so listen
4: carefully. The Earth is spinning, but it is slowing down. So that means that it used to be going faster. How many can figure this out now with no help?
0: Okay. I mean, I'd put up my hand, but you already told us the answer, so...
1: We're slowing down, not by much. And if you go back... The earth is only 6,000 years years old, this is no no problem. No big deal. It was going a little faster when Adam was here. He
4: wouldn't notice. He didn't have a watch anyway, as far as we know.
1: Adam and Eve might have had like a 24 and a half hour day,
0: okay? Wait, 24 and a half hours? The whole point of this segment is that the Earth was spinning faster in the past, and Eric throws out a number that would make the day half an hour longer, instead of shorter, like a faster spinning Earth would have. Now I guess we know who Kent was dumbing this down for. If you take the current rate of increase, 1.7 milliseconds per day, and extrapolate that back 6,000 years, which we absolutely shouldn't do, by the way, because this rate has been accelerating even in the 100 years or so we've been watching it, but if you're Eric and you actually understand the script you're reciting, and the math you're trying to do, the days for Adam and Eve would have been around 23 hours. I know math and science aren't your favorite. You'll get them next time.
1: But you want, to want me to believe the we're here for is billions of years? Of years now we got a problem. Because the winds on Earth are created by the Coriolis effect because of the Earth spinning. When you consider a
0: spinning globe, objects on the equator are moving a further distance than objects near the poles. But in the same amount of time, so is therefore going faster. When something moves north or south, its momentum makes it temporarily faster or slower relative to the new latitude's rotation speed, and gives the perspective illusion that something moving in a straight line is instead moving in a curve. This is called the Coriolis effect, but it is not the primary source for winds on Earth, as Eric suggests. Wind is caused by differences in atmospheric pressure, due primarily to uneven heating of the Earth's surface air moves from areas of high pressure to areas of low pressure, causing convection currents both in large and small scales for global and local winds. But none of that helps sell a young Earth. Because local winds move over distances too short to be affected by the Coriolis effect, even a stronger one, and are relative in motion to the rotation of the Earth, regardless of what that speed is, gusts of winds wouldn't have any noticeable changes.
1: You go back just a few million years, the Earth would have been spinning so fast, that the winds from the Coriolis effect would be 500 miles an hour.
4: 5,000 miles an hour from the Coriolis effect. Wait, wait.
0: How fast would the winds be?
1: 500 miles an hour. 5,000 miles an hour.
0: Is it 500 or 5,000? That's a pretty huge difference. And I have no way of checking which it is because the Hovens don't cite any sources for this, nor provide any math. To compare, let's look at Jupiter, our solar system's largest planet as well as the fastest rotator. A day on Jupiter lasts just 9.5 hours, where Earth's shortest days are estimated to have been around 14 hours. The surface of the Earth at the equator is rotating about 1,000 miles per hour, sticking to the Hovind units for clarity's sake, while Jupiter's equator is moving at nearly 28,000 miles per hour. Despite the massive difference in size and speed, Jupiter's top Coriolis wind speeds are around 610 miles per hour. Even Eric's lower 500 miles per hour number doesn't seem reasonable let alone Ken's 5,000 miles per hour claim. Wind isn't actually the weather factor most likely to be impacted by increased Coriolis. It's hurricanes. The spinning motion of hurricanes is driven in part by Coriolis. Hurricanes would likely be more frequent and of higher intensity during these shorter days. Other impacts of a faster spinning Earth would include everything weighing less and raised water levels, which are effects consistent with what we find going back in the geological record. And you think dinosaurs lived 200 million years
4: ago? Oh, I know what happened to them. (laughs) <laughs> they
1: got blown, blown off. off, man. They couldn't handle that kind of wind. Cute, but no. You know, they say petrification takes millions of years to do. It doesn't take long for things to petrify. Petrification can take place very rapidly.
4: Okay, here's a piece of petrified firewood.
1: A log that you can see the chop marks on. It was petrified. Solid rock now.
2: World Explorer, page 65, and... What is that, a phone number? What, do you expect me to call up the World Explorer offices to ask them what World Explorer even is and what your offhand reference to chopped wood might possibly refer to? Wouldn't it have made more sense to use that space for an actual citation? But hey, what would these videos be if I didn't have to solve a puzzle every time I want to know what the hell you're even talking about, right? So I googled World Explorer and didn't get much useful back, so since your references usually tend to be some kind of obscure, ancient issue of a magazine. I just popped magazine into the search and found this website, which looks like exactly the kind of thing I'd expect you guys to be using as a reference. And would you look at that? Same area code, same prefix, and the line number, at least for the fax number, is just one single digit off the one you provided. I guess they must have changed their number a little bit since whenever you put it on your slide, but they're still in the same local area, so clearly this is the right place. And look at this, they have all their back issues available as PDFs. That's a pleasant change. A lot of the magazines you cite from like the 1990s only have paper copies, which makes them a real pain to get. Unfortunately, though, it only helps me to a limited extent because all you gave me was the page number. No volume number, no issue number. Because, well, he didn't expect anyone to actually check the source of your claim, right Kent? What would be the point of that? Now, the funny thing is I don't even find it that dubious. I mean, this thing could very well have come from the Petrified Forest, but since you provide no information beyond just saying that, I'd like to at least get some kind of context from the person who actually published this in the first place. Maybe I can find a few more details on this object from there, which will be important if I'm going to discuss what it is and how it got that way. Now, you easily could have provided the relevant details on your slide, or at least in your speech, but that'd make it way too easy, I guess. Now, like I said, all the back issues are available for sale as PDF, so I could try gambling a few bucks that the first issue has what I need. And here's my thinking on that. You don't cite a volume or an issue number, so it's possible that you're looking at an issue from the very first days of the magazine when they didn't put that stuff on the cover. I don't think they necessarily realized that we're gonna turn this into an entire series. Only question is, should I actually do it? Well, I'm gonna have to see what this magazine's about, because I don't want to give money to something that I find offensively stupid, meaning both blatantly deceptive and reasonably successful at it, like the Hovens. Just on principle, I would never give money to someone like them. But who makes World Explorer? Well, the magazine comes from the mind of a guy who brought you such compelling books as A Hitchhiker's Guide to Armageddon, The Free Energy Device Handbook, The Time Travel Handbook, Lost Continents and the Hollow Earth, and Vimana Aircraft of Ancient India and Atlantis. Well, that all does seem pretty stupid, but somehow I have trouble thinking this is actually convincing many people or causing much harm, because I bet this is sold somewhere between 0 and 1 copies per issue on average. I mean, look at that cover art. Come on. By the way, do you think this one's where John Pendleton got his Mexican pterodactyl idea? Who knows? It's possible. Anyway, I think it's okay if I boost this guy's bank account by, like, the cost of a McDonald's meal, as long as I think it's gonna get results. I don't think I'm really contributing to dumbing down the planet, so let's try issue one. The description page for the issue doesn't tell me how many pages it has, so hopefully it goes up to page 65. Fifteen dollars on red, good sir. And no, it ends on page 44. And there's nothing in here about the petrified forest. Well, okay. There might still be hope, though. If Volume 1, Issue 1 goes up to page 44, then Volume 1, Issue 2 might start from there and go past 65, if this magazine is paginated by volume and not by issue, which is a bit of a stretch, but it is done sometimes, and I'm feeling lucky. And hey, I don't even buy lotto tickets. I can afford one more gamble here. So another 15 on red, good sir. Alright, Volume 1, Number 2. This is gonna be the jackpot. I'm due for a win. By the way, fifteen bucks is a little much for a magazine you sold in paper form for four ninety-five, don't you think? Whatever. And uh, the page number restarts from one and stops at sixty-four. One short. Alright, so I'm down thirty bucks and I still have no clue what you jackholes are even talking about. Which to be fair is probably about as much of a clue as you have. Well, if I were a gambler, I might keep going, but 30 bucks already feels like a big loss for me, for nothing, and 45 is just way too rich for my blood. I mean, after all, these are US dollars we're talking about here, not my Canadian Monopoly money. So I'm out of luck, I'm definitely not getting a copy of whichever issue it is that contains this picture, if there even is an issue with that in it. I looked through the summaries of every issue, and I didn't see anything that would imply anything about Arizona's petrified forest. Which means that, thanks to your garbage citation, I'm stuck with zero context for your image, making it completely pointless to talk about and useless as evidence. I don't even have any idea if what you showed actually comes from the petrified forest, or if it's even petrified at all, and it's a total waste of my time to speculate when you've provided no useful information about the object. Next time provide some details if you want your claim to be taken seriously as something that even requires an explanation in the first place. But I want to talk about at least something interesting before we move on, so instead of talking about your dumb thing, I'm going to quickly touch on something similar that people might find a little bit odd if they look Got pictures of the petrified forest, which is that a lot of the trees there look like they were cut cleanly into chunks with something like a saw. Now, this isn't because of some ancient Paul Bunyan, it's because the quartz that these petrified trees are primarily made of is a hard, brittle crystal material that, unlike wood, tends to break pretty cleanly when it cracks, which happens fairly often from the stress when the trees are still encased in rock. Now, of course, that has nothing at all to do with your claim that one of these pieces of petrified wood has an axe mark in it, but I thought it was an interesting enough little fact and a similar enough phenomenon to be worth mentioning, because I could see some creationist bringing it up. I've got a petrified pickle. We've all been there, brother. Try giving your pickle a tickle. should fix it right up. I've got a petrified pickle in my museum in Pensacola. Ah, dude. You've ripped it off and stuck it in a museum? That's uncalled for. If your pickle's stiff, just put on a little moisturizing
4: cream, rub it in thoroughly. The lid to the jar rusted off and the pickle turned to stone inside the jar. Oh, a literal pickle. Okay. We got the jar and the pickle. Come on up and see it. How about this
2: petrified pickle? Uh Uh-huh. Well, the first thing I noticed is you full-on doxxed the guy who found it. And this isn't from some old Kent video from a thousand years ago when people somehow still didn't see a problem with giving people's addresses out to thousands of viewers at a time. No, this is from Eric's speech, which is from, well, actually even Creation Today doesn't provide a year, which doesn't surprise me at this point. But PureFlix says it's from 2009. That is way past when you should have known better, dude. Anyway, what's the claim here exactly? The pickle jar was somewhere. The lid rusted off, for some reason, and the pickle apparently turned to stone. Stum- Okay, well that's not exactly much to go on, is it? Can we start with some details? What environment was it in? For how long? What sort of process do you believe occurred to make it this way? Is there any sign of a similar process happening on the jar itself? If not, why not? Where did the minerals come from that replaced the organic material if the pickle was just sitting in a jar? What minerals are they? Is your icky pickle sitting in a substance, or is it in an empty jar? Have you done any sort of tests on this? Or did you just get this thing from some rando with no information and unquestioningly stick it in your museum because you thought it was funny looking? Those are just the first few questions that jump to mind, and they're very important, and you haven't addressed any of them. There are so many questions that you need to answer before it makes any sense to give any credence to your claim here. But you apparently weren't smart enough to realize you should, or maybe you just didn't want people to have the answers. So now we have two claims in a row, where you haven't provided enough basic information to even make your claim worth taking seriously in the first place. I'm sensing a trend here. Now having said all that, just to point out how terrible you are at presenting information, Here are some other photos that I found on Google of this so-called pickle. Yes, I went and did the work for you, that's what I do. I guess my viewers can decide for themselves if this looks anything like a pickle to them at all. I'd say it doesn't in the least. I don't think a pickle was ever involved in any stage of the production of this object. Now, I might be more convinced if you showed me evidence that the petrification process actually preserved something of the pickle's structure, like you see in petrified trees. But literally all you have here is that you think it's shaped kind of like a pickle, which it's not, and that when you got it, it was in a pickle jar. Not a sealed pickle jar, a jar with the top rusted open. So it seems to me the simplest explanation here is Our David Cosby found a rock he thought looked kinda pickly. so either he thought it'd be funny or he thought it'd help his creationist cause if he stuck it in an old pickle jar and mailed it to you with a dishonest little note attached. No, I think this is a rock, and as for what kind of rock it might specifically be, I'm no geologist of course. Longtime viewers will be familiar with my deep abiding hatred of rocks of all kinds since a uh, rock shot my cousin, but here are some rocks that look roughly similar. Bastards.
4: One kid sent me a bag of petrified acorns with a little note. He said, Brother Hovind, I put these acorns in the water to hope they would sprout, and I forgot about them. Ten years old, you know. Next spring, my mom found the bucket on the back porch and said, Son, get rid of these acorns. He said, in less than a year, they turned to stone. I've got them in the museum. Stop and see our dinosaur adventure land in Pensacola, Florida. Yep.
2: Definitely a trend. You're three for three. Not even a picture this time. I guess it's good there's no slide, you probably would've just doxed the kid, but come on. It's not like the picture really helped your case last time, because it just looked like a moldy pickle, but at least it was something. This time you haven't even given me that much to go on. Just some kid said some acorns turned to stone in a bucket of water. And then he stuck them in a bag, and you stuck that in your museum, and never even took a picture to stick on a useless slide. Guess he just couldn't be bothered. Here, let me help you out. Wow, look at them petrified acorns! Praise Jesus! Anyway, at this point, I could just ignore this completely, because you got nothing. But I'll give it more attention than it deserves, and think out loud for a few seconds. So what's the story here? Kid takes some acorns, puts them in a bucket of water for a year, they turn to stone, the organic material being replaced by some kind of mineral. Right, so just like the pickle, where'd the minerals come from? The water might have had a little bit of calcium in it, but you're talking about full-on petrification, and not even with, like, flowing water that would constantly be resupplying minerals. Standing water in a bucket. Setting aside the fact those acorns would probably rot long before they would petrify, how is that supposed to work? Did Jesus want you to have a display for the museum so he repeated his water-to-wine miracle, but this time he turned acorns to stone? I mean, based on the story as you tell it, I don't see another way. Whether the process makes any sense or not isn't the point. You don't even have the required materials to make it happen. Who knows, maybe I'm missing some crucial details here.
1: And whose fault would that be, guys? Here's a petrified fish giving birth. How about a mother ichthyosaur giving birth to a baby and it's petrified while giving birth.
4: It doesn't take millions of years to give birth. <sighs> I need a moment.
2: Hold on. Right. Kent, can you please repeat that?
4: Here's a petrified fish giving birth. It doesn't take millions of years to give birth. Praise mm-hmm.
2: God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's just sit quietly for a moment and let that sink in. argument is petrification doesn't take millions of years, because this animal was giving birth while the fossilization occurred, and birth does not take millions of years. So therefore this fossilization I guess must have taken minutes at most. How didn't the scientists notice that? It's so obvious. You're a regular Sherlock Holmes, Kent. Clearly, these animals must have been fossilized while the mother was actively giving birth the whole time. That's the only plausible explanation. Assuming, of course, that they didn't just die during the birth and then got fossilized over a long period of time like normal, which I guess we're assuming for some reason. Ugh. You know, Ken, I've encountered a lot of truly stupid thoughts from you in the past. The worst examples I can think of are how did a pre-cellular life form find someone to marry so it could reproduce sexually, and why would an organism choose to reproduce instead of just evolving the ability to live forever and then be happy? Now, I'm not sure this one tops those, but it's definitely up there. For your argument to make any sense at all, this fish had to be alive and actively giving birth while it fossilized. Even if fossilization happens relatively fast, like you claim, that thought is so dumb that at first I didn't even believe a grown man could possibly say it. I had to listen back a few times trying to come up with a more charitable interpretation, but no luck. At least your son is a little bit smarter than you are. Let's hear his version.
1: How about a mother ichthyosaur giving birth to a baby and it's petrified? While giving birth. See?
2: He was smart enough not to call this ichthyosaur a fish. It's not a fish, Kent, it's a reptile. Eric was smart enough to avoid that problem. He's a brilliant lad by your family's standards. But unfortunately, it seems like even the most brilliant Hovind isn't smart enough to understand why saying the reptile was petrified while giving birth makes you sound about as smart as the fossil we're talking about. These animals did die during the birth, certainly, and then, like the slide said, were probably buried rapidly under sediment which prevented scavenging and rot. That does not mean or imply that the mother stayed alive and kept giving birth as it turned into a fossil. Just being buried does not turn you instantly into a fossil, and it's not exactly conducive to staying alive either. Kent, Eric, how do you people even manage to get through the day without tying your shoes together or poking out your own eye with a fork? One final thing I notice is this slide also has a phone number. So far, every single slide in at least one of your versions has had either a phone number or an address. What are you hoping to achieve
4: with that?
1: How about this? It's a cowboy, cowboy boot, boot with the cowboy's and the cowboy's leg is it. still in it. Petrified. Turned to solid rock. Ouch.
4: <laughs> it's on the table now. There's an article about it. It's called the Limestone Cowboy. Another phone number. Why? You
2: know what? I'm not even going to bother asking. So I addressed this claim way back at the start of 2012 in the first Hello, I'm a Scientist, I believe. And I'm sure I didn't do the best job. A lot of people really love those old videos because I was clearly having fun making them and they're kind of light and silly, which is mainly because I did them super late at night, unscripted, while deliriously tired and usually slightly tipsy. But the consequence of that was it also meant the actual debunking was pretty lazy, so there's a lot I'd do differently if I could do it all over again. And that'd probably make it a little bit less funny and a little bit more dry, but that's a trade-off I can accept as long as the debunk holds up better. Anyway, at least I can do this claim over again, so that's cool. Let's start with the slide. Petrified cowboy leg found in a dry creek bed near the West Texas town of Iran. Really? Iran, Texas? Okay. About 1980 by Mr. Jerry Stone, an employee of Corvette Oil Company. I don't really care who he works for unless it's relevant. How is it relevant? The bones of the partial leg and foot within the boot were revealed by an elaborate set of CT scans performed at Harris Methodist Hospital in Bedford, Texas on July 24th, 1997. The radiologic technician was Evelyn Americas AART. Well, I appreciate having some specific details for once. It's just too bad there's specific details that do absolutely nothing for me, unless you include the actual scans. How is telling me who the radiologic technician was going to help me establish that this is actually good evidence. It's not. A complete set of the scans remains with the boot at the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. Pointless phone number. Well, that's great, Kent. Scans exist showing there are bones in the boot, okay. Well, I'm not heading to Glen Rose to get a copy from Carl Baugh himself, so I'll just take your word for it, I guess, because... To be honest, I'm not particularly skeptical that there actually are foot bones in the boot. If I go to the bible.ca page that you sorta kinda cite, there's a high-quality image there, and I can even see this spongy bone above all that dry mud. Very strange for a supposedly fossilized bone, might I add. If that's fossilized bone, that should all be filled up with some sort of mineral. But yeah, it looks like a bone. Probably some poor cowboy had a real hard day at some point. The question you left totally unaddressed, despite it being the only relevant question here, is did the CT scans that you mentioned find that these were fossil bones, or just bones? I mean, the wording implies it's just bones. Bible.ca says the same thing. Only the contents of the boot are fossilized, not the boot itself, demonstrating that some materials fossilize more readily than others. If you say so, why? Surely if those bones are fossilized and the leather was in the same environment, something would have happened to it. So that seems more to support the obvious hypothesis that, None of it is fossilized. The bones of the partial leg and foot within the boot were revealed by an elaborate set of CT scans, blah, blah, blah. Did you notice the switch there? It wasn't hidden very well. We switched straight from the contents of the boot are fossilized, implying that the bones are fossilized, to simply the CT scan found bones in the boot, which does absolutely nothing to support the fossilization claim. The presence of bones in a boot is easily believable. It doesn't make me believe there's fossil bones in the boot. Now I seriously doubt that you or Bible.ca would have chosen such vague wording if these scans actually showed that the bones were fossilized. I'm pretty sure you all would have been crowing about that as loud as you possibly could. The CT scans found that the bones were in fact fossilized! But instead the best you can muster is to conflate your fantasy of fossil bones with the actual finding of modern bones. even based. the pictures it doesn't look remotely fossilized like it looks like there was a foot and a bit of leg in the boot the meat rotted away and at some point was replaced by mud because it was sitting in a creek the mud was molded into the shape of the inside of the boot and dried i mean clearly that is not leg meat in there and that's the end of the story none of that has anything to do with fossilization or petrification as you're calling it do you seriously expect people to buy this just because a ct scan found a bone in a boot a bone that's visibly sticking out the top of the boot (laughs)
1: Petrification does not take millions or billions of years, okay? It can actually happen very quickly does not
2: take long. If you say so, I'm sure it must be true, Eric, but nothing you've said here has supported that claim in the least. You suck at evidence and you suck at arguments, do better. And by the way, of all the people you could have uncritically copied the arguments of, your dad was not a good choice.
1: So, some people claim petrification takes a long time. No, it
2: doesn't. Asserting it a second time doesn't make it more convincing.
1: We even got petrified teddy bears.
2: Well, at least you have a picture of a teddy bear. You got any details to give me, test results, anything? No? Forget it then. Useless.
1: Petrification does not take millions of years. It can actually happen very, very quickly.
2: Saying it a third time doesn't make it more convincing either. Petrification can happen real fast. Petrification can happen real fast. Petrification can happen real fast. Is it true yet?
0: Couldn't we just have said that merely being covered with minerals, like this teddy bear, isn't remotely the same thing as having living material actually replaced by minerals, like in dinosaur bones?
3: <laughs> Only your everyday stereotypical cookie cutter debunker would go through this whole process of explaining what a fossil is, how it get formed, why these examples are not really fossils. You get the
0: gist. Well, we'd hate to be stereotypical or cookie cutter.
3: Exactly.
4: But you know when they drill into the ground,
0: sometimes they hit oil. I've heard that poor mountaineers, those who can barely keep their family fed, can be shooting at some food. When up through the ground comes a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas T.
1: We have oil in the ground that is under tremendous Incredible pressure, like twenty thousand pounds per square inch. Scientists that study the rock over the over the oil that's under like twenty thousand PSI. psi. Well,
4: the guys who study this problem say, you know, the the oil has some pressure simply because of the rocks on top of it. It's called the overlying weight of the rock, the overburden, that produces pressure. But the oil pressure is greater than the weight of overbearing rock. So this should have cracked the rock and equalized the pressure in less than 10,000 years.
0: Well, as helpful as Kent's very specific attribution of the guys who studied this is certain to be, I see that there's an actual article referenced on the screen. So before we get too deep, let's look at that source. Creation X Nihilo, Volume 12, Number 2. Well, that certainly sounds like a balanced peer-reviewed source. It seems the magazine has since been renamed Journal of Creation. Not sure if that's better or worse. But either way, looks like we're in luck, and the whole magazine is archived online for free. Are you kidding me?! And we're looking for the article, How Fast Can Oil Form, by Andrew Snelling. Oh. If you're a regular watcher of my Ham and Egg News show, you might remember Snelling as the Answers in Genesis employee who sued the National Park Service after they ruled that his request to take rock samples in the Grand Canyon was without scientific merit. Now, they eventually caved, no pun intended, and let Snelling in about two years ago. Wonder when we can expect his old earth-shaking findings to be published. But I digress. It seems this article, How Fast Can Oil Form?, is pretty much just about how fast oil can form, citing various instances where engineers have been able to prompt oil formation from biomaterial under laboratory conditions that don't exist in nature, or even a worldwide flood. It doesn't actually put forth any of these ideas as the likely scenario for Earth's natural oil reserves, but rather just wants to cast doubt on the idea that large amounts of time are necessarily necessary. That doesn't follow, of course, and is maybe a topic for another day. But we're here because this article is Kent and Eric's citation for those oil pressure claims. But Snelling doesn't once mention oil pressure at all, let alone these specific numbers the Hovens are throwing around. This wasn't so much a citation as extra credit homework. Okay, well if all that's true, then I have a question.
1: Why Why do do we we still still have have oil pressure? pressure in the world today?
0: But first let's ask, is all of that true? I really tried to find these sources for the Hoven numbers. Eric's own search engine brought up nothing. There are a few creationist websites that point to the 1999 book Tornado in a Junkyard by James Perloff, but that merely poses the question, how could they have lasted that long without leaking, without providing numbers or any citation? Creation Research Society Quarterly in 2007 put forth the same oil pressure claim but the extent of their backing is the sentence. In real-world conditions, it is difficult to imagine sedimentary rocks remaining so impermeable for so long. Difficult to imagine is merely incredulity, not scientific support. Now, my earth home is in Alberta, Canada's Texas, which has more oil field geologists than Britain has tea drinkers. And this Hovind clip is fast becoming my province's favorite sitcom. First things first, let's find out a little more about these 20,000 PSI reservoirs that the Hovens were excited about by pulling up a hydrostatic pressure calculator. You see, it's not the weight of the material above the gas that is the main cause of the pressure, as Kent seems to think, but rather the depth of the reservoir. Crude oil density ranges from 870 to 1,000 kilograms per meters cubed, but let's use 930, which is considered medium and typical. We are looking for a calculation that gets us to 20,000 PSI. And voila, such a reservoir would be at a depth of 15.11 kilometers, or 9.388 miles for our Florida friends. The Hovind diagram is showing just two thin layers, roughly the height of a tree. A misleading image for what is actually over 9 miles of rock. Now, it seems that the Hovind are making a claim about what is referred to in the oil field as the fracture pressure or fracture gradient. The pressure required to induce fractures in rock at a given depth. As you can imagine, the type of rock affects this calculation, but I don't think any of us want a detailed geology lesson today. Instead, let's jump to the end and take note of two main generalities about the fracture gradient for any rocks. First, as you can see in this example graph, not only does the pressure required to fracture the rock increase the deeper we go, after all, the fracture gradient is measured in psi per feet, but the rock's fracture gradient, overpressure shown here in yellow, tends to outpace the oil's hydrostatic pressure gradient, under pressure shown here in red, the deeper one goes. So, the deeper the well, the less likely this Hovind scenario. And the second and more important thing to note is that there is no time component in the fracture-pressure calculation, because it's not a function of time. It's psi per foot, not psi per year. When a reservoir reaches pressure equilibrium, It's not a matter of a specific length of time, 10,000 years or otherwise, until a fracture happens. The equilibrium will continue indefinitely. Years, thousands of years, millions of years, or even billions of years. Staying stable until something external alters the conditions of the equilibrium. Say, a sufficient earthquake. Or perhaps a drill bit from above. Of course, not every reservoir is in a state of equilibrium at all times. Oil can and will move. Though it's worth noting that in conditions that can't contain reservoirs, reservoirs don't form in the first place. Oil pressure simply isn't an argument for the age of the Earth, because the equilibrium pressure in an oil reservoir is oblivious to time. And I'm out. That's my hoven limit for the day. (laughs) We can't stop yet. I can't leave hell until I've debunked the whole seminar. I've got to get back to Earth to make videos about theology. Wait, you don't know? This is awkward. Logic, Know what? What don't I know?
2: Well, you see, it seems that when I summoned you here, I must have split the timeline or created an alternate version of you or some similarly ridiculous science fiction trope. Which means there's still Apologia up on Earth making videos on your channel while you're stuck here in hell. He's doing pretty well, apparently got in some kind of fight with William Lane Craig. But I wanted to fight with William Lane Craig. So anyway, good news, buddy. No hurry to get back. Come on by for dinner sometime.
0: And bring some dinner. Another Apologia?